Hey everyone, welcome to this new episode of This is Creative AI. I'm your host, Karan Malhotra, and today we're talking with Piotr Pombol. Hey Piotr, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for inviting me. So Piotr is the founder of Ad Daily. He studied economics for five years, though his career over the last 10 years has been in the areas of digital marketing strategy and now AI. He's the former founder of GameSet, the first gaming marketing agency in the Central and Eastern European region, which has won over 50 plus awards in the six years he was there. He has since exited the company. He's also a dad, gamer, and loves discussing football stats. Obviously, he's an economist, so uh, that makes sense. About A Daily, it's an AI-powered marketing researcher with access to 2,300 plus real recognized marketing campaigns from all over the world, from years 2019 to 2023. Built as a chatbot running on GPT-4 and Langchain, it's the only solution on the market that combines quality results with a conversational approach. Today, we'll be looking at A Daily through the lens of the Tikai framework, the traffic of tools, data, behavior change, and business metrics. So before we jump into understanding the tool, for my first question to you, Piozer, I want to take you back to 1984. That's the year that Lutzer's Archive was founded. Lutzer's Archive, for many, is the gold standard for the last 30 years of referencing award-winning campaigns. So is A Daily here to give Lutzer's Archive its Nokia or Kodak moment? I hope not, because uh, we respect all the different uh, projects that has been, uh, let's say, celebrating uh, creativity around the world, and uh, they've been sharing the inspirations with, with the people who are looking for them. So I think all of these projects should be maintained, and also, from our perspective, we just offer uh, something on top of them, because our approach was to collect all of this information that is publicly available and make it interactive, because first of all, uh, after decades of advertising, that, that we are right now, because uh, if we think about not only this archive, which is uh, 30 years old right now, we have Can Lion, we had uh, other awards, and they've been going uh, for decades. So we have uh, thousands of uh, great um, marketing campaigns that we can learn from. But if you look from perspective of a typical person working advertising, you wouldn't be able to go through all of these thousands of uh, case studies manually, right? It wouldn't make sense. Even if you try to go through all of the Canlion winners for from one year, it's almost 400 campaigns. It just in, in today's time, it's just not possible. So our approach was to make it interactive and make it more accessible because putting all of this information in a worker database from technical point of view makes it possible to browse by context, by uh, hidden relationships, not only by keywords. So. We see this as an evolution of all of these great collections of uh, winning case studies. We are coming in a new age, AI era, where people just will be getting used to uh, the accessibility and the speed, how they can uh, access the information. And I think archives like, like that one you mentioned uh, or other uh, repositories of data, which you can only filter and then you, can, you need to browse everything manually, I think there will be coming a little bit obsolete, unfortunately. It remains to be seen whether uh, Lutzer is, is listening to this, watching this, and if they sense a little bit of competition uh, from A Daily in the near future. But the key thing that you send over there is accessibility in the AI age, right? You're making that same information that's in a variety of different places. You're making it accessible and relevant in ways, in behaviors that are relevant to here and now. So... As I mentioned in conversations that we have on this podcast is through the Tikai framework. So the trifecta of that is tools, data, behavior change, and business metrics. So let's talk about the tools data bit first. So can you talk us through the workflow? 
And we built this app as a, a system for marketing activities. And from the very beginning, we had just we had one module, and this was the, the main one, the research module that enables you to do browse this winning ad campaigns. And after some time, we added another module, the creative one, which helps you like helps you understand what could be your approach to your marketing challenge. And we're also working on some more steps to add to this, uh, let's say, whole process. But let's focus on these two right now that are available already. You can access them, both of them from the website, from the homepage. And as for the research module, you just need to type what you're looking for. And our algorithm will handle this for you and will prepare a list of matching campaigns with all the details, with the information and description and so on just, you know, from the very beginning. So it's really a great shortcut to finding relevant information. And we also guarantee that these are the best campaigns in, in the category. So you don't need to question if it's good or not. It's something that we feel could be a valuable benchmark for what you do, whatever you type. Because as you can imagine, among this uh, over 2000 campaigns, there are very different campaigns from, as I remember, from over 100 different categories and from more than 2000 brands as well. So it's like, it's really varied and from more than 100 countries. So if you're looking for case studies from India, from Poland, from Peru, from Turkey, you will find it really. It's, it's all out there. And the biggest value for people could be this process of discovery because sometimes you don't even know what you're looking for, right? It's like, if you have very specific, if, if you know exactly what you're looking for, you will probably not find it on Google. But if you don't have anything specific because you're exploring, you're researching, you're preparing like, you know, your campaign, like, okay, I need to make an ad for a car. How do automotive industry even communicate, right? So you can just explore it and find all the different ways it can be used. And for the second module, we thought about the second module as a natural extension or next step after we're working in the first module, the creative model enables you to uh, find a potential solution for your marketing challenge. And it's also running on a curated database, this time of 52 creative tools that are collected in Deco Brilliance. It's a fantastic collection available for free on the internet. And it was made by ad veterans and we got uh, approval from them to use it in our app. And the idea was also quite similar was to take all this great information, all this great knowledge of these 52 creative tools with, with description how to use them in our app, where in fact, our chatbot helps you find the suitable tool for your, for your problem. So it comes up with solutions and you can follow up with the whole conversation with, with the chatbot. Okay, great. So as I understand, you have two parts to the tool, one part where you can just do research and you can understand what's happening. If I'm looking for TikTok strategies for chocolate yes. in the US. So I'll find a bunch yes. of things over there. And then if I want to create a campaign for my brand of vegan chocolates, and, and I am want to do that in, let's say, North America, the US, and I, then I have idea generation opportunities over there. And that's the part two of the, of the platform. Yes. Now, on the first part, as you would know, data sets, how they're created, the transparency of them, where the data has come from, that's a big question. And if you're looking to create campaigns that are then pushed out into the market, people want to know that it's come from a safe space, right? Uh, so how did you yes. go about curating mm -hmm. the data set for all these different campaigns in one place? 
first of all, we made decision on uh, what would be the, um, let's say, type of campaigns we would like to cover. So as mentioned, we wanted only the best award-winning campaigns and like adhering to Dream members' credibility and relying on it was preferred way for us. But obviously, if you even think about Han Lion, for example, you have 400 campaigns uh, winning every year. And then how can you collect this data? So in, in our case, we saw this huge opportunity in aggregating details of the campaigns because in fact, there are no other websites or, or services where you can access details of the campaigns for free. They may be behind very pricey paywall, but in fact, it's out, out there because if you try to find information about a campaign winning at the Lion, I can assure you that it's already out there and it's covered in great detail and you can find everything. So our approach was to collect all of this information from hundreds of sources and put them in one place and make it accessible to people. But obviously you touch a very important subject about if you can really use it in your work, is it, you know, what's the transparency of this data? So our approach was to collect all of this data and uh, make the full credits for where it comes from. So first of all, we credit the agencies uh, in full and we redirect uh, our users to their portfolios. Second thing is that when we collect information from, for example, creative awards websites, which sometimes um, contain these descriptions, we also credit them. So we want to act as more of an aggregator. So like, you know, search engine that gets information from websites and prepares, you know, a list of uh, matching results for the user. So this is something quite similar. And for us, the biggest inspiration is perplexity, in fact, and perplexity is like right now a very hyped uh, project because they received uh, huge funding, uh, I think, including Amazon, but uh, like I've been, we've been following them for, for a long time. And I think they really find this great balance in how they use AI and also how they make it really transparent. Like, so answer for a question was built based on this information. And if you want to find more, here's the sources, right? It's not something you can easily get from ChatGPT. Of course, if you use the web browsing option, then you can get it, but it's not really, you know, very specific and it's sometimes made up. Perplexity does it very well. And this is something that we also want. So what challenges did you face in choosing to go down this road? of making all this data available uh, in an AI platform? Because a lot of it, like you said, is available on search, et cetera. Obviously, it's in a variety of different places. Also curious to know, you come from a, uh, is it fair to say you come from a non-technical background personally? Definitely, yes. yes definitely. So then for you, as someone being in the advertising industry, what were the challenges for you building an AI platform? What learnings did you have over there? So what challenges did you have, you know, in building the platform itself? And what challenges did you face personally transitioning from advertising? to uh, technology. Yes. So starting with a very rough idea, I mean, obviously I had my own point of view, my own insights, but uh, before starting building um, the app, I reached out and made interviews uh, with 40 of people from my network. And this is when I decided to try to tackle this specific problem of, of research of data. And then I tried to, I mean, obviously it was the beginning of last year, so we ChatGPT uh, was in its infancy, so it was just, you know, we were a couple of weeks in with, with this new technology and we were all just, you know, exploring, trying and guessing what would work. 
So I realized then what are the main limitations of LLMs. So I then understood that not everything that's what's in the output of LLMs is in fact real or factual, right? Because they are prone to make hallucinations as it's called. I don't really like this term, but it's how people call it. And this made up information when you're looking for something very specific could be really uh, dangerous for your business, right? So you can ask for the GPT for ad campaigns and you have some examples that go to the client and they ask if you can show this work that you refer to and it's not really, it's not real. And this was a huge problem in other industries as well. There's a, you know, very well-known case of a lawyer from US who, who used fake patients and so on from ChatGPT. So I wanted to make it work in a way that it's, it's reliable, it's proven and it's, you know, 100% guarantee real. And obviously that meant combining what AI tools like ChatGPT or obviously API of GPT that we can access and finding a way to have a specific database that it could use. So at first I didn't know how to tackle it because as you mentioned, I, I'm a person with no technical background. So obviously like using ChatGPT is easy. You can even uh, have fun in playground mode, which is, you know, it's more advanced, but still it's not, doesn't require coding. Uh, I did some courses on AI and machine learning in general at the very beginning. And in one of them, Python uh, basics were covered. So I did a very introductory uh, course on Python. And the only thing I was able to do was to create a code that will send a request to the GPT API and come back you know, with, with an answer. And then I realized that it's just probably not enough to build a product. So my approach was to try to create a prototype in a way that's achievable by me or someone with my skills. So I tried using no code tools and I found some really great guys uh, on YouTube. And I even built my own prototype in Webflow, with member stack in Airtable, Zapier, and, and connected this with GPT API and it worked. But it was like something that I needed to prove, like this is something that I'm working on and as a conversation starter. Because then I was sure that I need people with technical background to work with me and to help make it a reality. And I was fortunate enough to start attending offline events, uh, in-person events organized by one of the venture capitals in, in Poland. And these were for people who are looking for co-founders. So like, especially like people who either had an idea and were looking for technical partners or, you know, tech people who were looking for someone who had an idea. So it was really great matchmaking and I was happy to find my two co-founders uh, who I worked with. And definitely both of them are full stack developers. They can handle all technical stuff on our end. We quickly worked out the solution that if we want to tackle this problem that I realized using AI, we just need to vector databases and we need to combine this tool so we can talk with AI, but AI will provide us answers only based on this information from the database. So this was, this is probably the only reasonable solution on the market. Whenever you want to create a chatbot or AI interface that enables you to talk about data from a specific database or from a specific source and do not make up you know, facts or, or figures and so on. Thanks for that, Peter. Um, you covered a little bit about the behavioral challenges and that's 
part two of a framework, right? Going into behavior. So some of what you were tackling, some of the personal, I mean, jumping into a little bit of Python yourself and what that then led to ultimately with your founders. Now, briefly about the behavioral impact of using ADAD, right? So what would you say are behaviors that it supercharges and what are other areas or expectations that you have found of people using this tool that it still has to maybe live up to right now, you know, because I, I go into this tool, I certainly have an expectation of it can do all of this stuff and suddenly yes. I'm imagining all of this and then people feel maybe a certain level of frustration. So how do you help people who can supercharge existing behavior and, you know, where does the roadmap sort of play a role in some frustration that people might be feeling right now? Yes, so I think it's all the evolution of, of people's expectation towards AI tools. Because if we go back one year, it was the very beginning. And I think it was the time where people thought AI would do everything. And obviously it's capable of doing a lot, not everything. And then came the disbelief that it can do everything. But we still meet people who think that every AI app will do everything for them. And it's very difficult to handle this. And uh, since we use uh, analytic tools, we use Hotjar, so I can browse the user recordings. And I see some sometimes people like have really high expectations uh, in what they type in. And I think, as you mentioned, it's all about managing these expectations because we don't want people to, to build this very elevated expectations because this will only drive frustration. So the very start, it was just the research model. It was a chatbot. It was the easiest way to implement it and to test it. And it was really quite similar to you know, how all the AI chatbots or specifically ChatGPT would look like and work. And it was confusing for people. And I recently read a great article on how the UX impacts the potential success of AI tools. And there's a huge trade-off between the, uh, let's say, freedom of, of, of use for a specific tool and curation of, of the content that you can provide to people. So ChatGPT is an example of a tool that enables you to do everything. And like, like you are free to ask any type of question and it will handle everything, right? It, it will never say that it doesn't know or it's it cannot help. It just it will always find a way answer. But in our case, we couldn't offer that. I mean, we didn't want to offer this, but we created this appearance that it may solve every problem and it couldn't. So I think this was a huge learning for us. And I think this is something that happens on the market. I mean, across the very, very different tools, they're changing their approach, how to, how they serve users the, with the value, how they build the interfaces. So. We realize that people may want more from our app that we can really help them with. So it was all about, mm, let's say, narrowing the focus and, and just making it less interactive in a way, like less open. But then we were sure we can give people what we wanted and it would be easily readable for people. So we went from offering a very general chatbot for research that you would often find replying, I don't know, it's not, it's not in the database, I cannot help you because we wanted it to be focused at the same time. So it, it was unavoidable to have this type of answers from our chatbot. So we were, we decided to make a move to a different interface where there's a very similar to perplexity, you put a question and you get as an answer, a list of campaigns. It's not really interactive right now. We want to add 
some ways to make like to add some uh, custom questions or make follow-up questions uh, to like even a selection of campaigns or just one so we want to introduce it but we wanted to make the the experience of users better i, I think we succeeded from today's perspective but obviously like all of the creators of ai tools we've been all experimenting no one knew how to serve people with ai tools because ChatGPT was the only one great reference and many times when i when i talk with people and they think that ChatGPT has everything figured out i think they don't and it's okay because they're the leader they're the innovator and if you go to ChatGPT often and i, I suppose you do and i do you will see very minor changes all the time like some something appears here there's a new text here there's a new animation there's a new button so on. i think they are just testing on production and they're just implementing things seeing how people react and continue or discontinue based on that and when i also was looking up to chat gpt and we wanted to replicate some of the solutions then i realized like OpenAI doesn't have a clue if it's going to work because they are the first to do it so you don't you cannot really rely on on them being cried all the time because they're already they're also testing and we test all, all of us test fortunately right now we have much more benchmark so as mentioned i really love perplexity and how they uh, serve people for me it's uh, it's just not a surprise that they have 10 uh, million uh, monthly users and they've received huge funding because this is a great tool that's so interesting that you mentioned about innovation right the fact that even ChatGPT is the market leader in the space but it's quite likely that they're also figuring things out as they build stuff and in that sense while they're innovating and us using their tools we are also innovating and they're learning from us so like there's this massive global live user testing and usage yes. also happening and they're also making some you know fair amount of money along the way yes of so course. so as part of that so we talked about product flow the user journey or you know flow of feeling also about some of the behavior challenges now if you focus on the business side right so what is the business case for a daily who are you talking to who's your customer what is the benefit to them and for you as a business what kind of traction are you seeing from the very start i wanted to create a tool that could be used by people in marketing all over the world all over the industry so first of all i talked with people working on both the client and agency side and also freelancers because i wanted a very diverse point of view on that and i know that the solution we have is really useful for all type of industry participants and currently i would say that uh, the majority of our users come from agencies definitely but we have clients who are freelancers with clients who are corporations and they use it for their marketing teams those the idea to to offer this tool to people working in marketing because having insights from the best marketing case studies benchmarks is useful for all people in the industry and also during various uh, stages of the process marketing process you can need for like you know start some exploration inspiration you can need it later to see if what you came up with is good enough or not and then something to evaluate the results right if it's um, if it was really successful or maybe it could have done better and so on so we started with with introducing this solution and in our region we launched the like the, the first version in september we launched the paid version and since the, then we are uh, we're getting some traction in terms of like the paying users we have first users who buy bundles for their uh, enterprises we have users who buy yearly plans so like we also have people who really believe that we'll be going to you know deliver 
more and more value to them. And so it's really, it's, it's a blessing, but it's also obviously a burden because we need to deliver now. So we are happy to. And as for the, let's say the amount of people we are trying, so it's between 1,500 uh, 1, and 2,000 people every month, all the users, not paid, but free as well. And these come mostly from North America and Western Europe, but also have a lot of users from India, from Brazil, so like from bigger countries with bigger populations, but also who have very active uh, marketing industries as well. So from our perspective, the idea to tap into all the different markets was to make sure that it's accessible for these people. So obviously we started with supporting English and Polish, but right now we support 14, 14 languages and among them is Portuguese. So like people in Brazil kind of feel more comfortable, Spanish, so the whole, the rest of Latin America and Italian, German, French, I may not be able to like give you all because it's already 14, but we decided to tap into languages that are popular in the world in like in terms of the population, but also it, they are getting traction from our point of view in our users. So we've been uh, following like the data from our Google Analytics and for example, we have a lot of users from Vietnam and we wanted to give them something from our side supporting a Vietnamese language. So they can use it natively right now, the same with Korean or Japanese. So we wanted to even further lower this entry barrier to this uh, marketing mastery that we have. So you don't even need to know how to like, you know, how to uh, read and uh, write in English because you you can find different languages that may be your native language. And, uh, and I think this is really cool for people. And from our point of view, obviously we focus on getting as many people right now to try the app, to come back to app. And it's being like the, all of our traction is organic. So it's my network and my outreach to people outside my network. And we focus on tapping into, first of all, not my home country and the region, uh, but the Western Europe or North America, because uh, this is where the most potential target group um, representatives are. But also, obviously, we are eager to tap into, as mentioned, India or Brazil, because there's a huge market, a lot of people, and also like marketing is well developed there. So we also want to, to be present there. We are still yet to start user acquisition of paid media to see if we can attract people. I mean, we definitely can attract people outside of our network and our outreach, natural outreach, and we'll see how they behave because it will be very interesting. And as for the people that we serve, like our users, we get a lot of very positive feedback that we, first of all, deliver them great value and inspirations for the work especially for agencies, because as you imagine, when you work in an agency, you, you need to juggle different clients and categories all the time. So today you work for car, tomorrow for baby food. And, you know, it's, these are totally different situations and different ways of, you know, promoting products and even selling them. So this is why people from agencies are eager to use it every, on almost every day basis, on daily basis. As for people who are on the client side, they use it less often, but uh, they still find it very valuable. And I think like the main benefit is to really save time because you, first of all, don't need to look for it in different places. If you don't find it on Google, you will go to a specific website and search there. If it's not there, you, you, you know, you need to scroll and browse for everything. And then what's the worst thing is that you cannot, you may not find what you're looking for. 
And in our case, we give you a much higher chance to find what you're looking for because we can understand the context of your question and not only just keywords. So I think saving time is really crucial in, in, in today's world. Like we are all working under pressure and looking at the perspective of last three, four years, we had lockdown, we had war in Ukraine, we had recession. And I think people working in marketing are under huge pressure and they need to be very effective. So we just wanted to create something that will help them because if we can save time on some really tedious tasks, I think they can focus more on what's really important, like, you know, on creating new concepts, you know, talking with clients, uh, building relationships and so on. And I even heard from one of our users, uh, it, um, she was a board member in an agency and she said that they wanted to like, find a solution for this research process in their company and they wanted even to uh, hire someone, but instead they just bought the license of Adaily and gave access to the people. So like everybody can benefit from it. And I think it can really even, it's even more beneficial for these people, because if you imagine that every person in this company has access to its own researcher on demand every time they need it, and there's no queue, there's no traffic for a one person work, it's definitely going to save even more time. So this is something that we want to bring to the people and saving time is becoming like, you know, paramount in today's world. Yeah. So in some ways, research as a service, right? I mean, uh, you have research on, on tap on demand. Uh, amazing. Thanks for sharing a uh, broad overview of the product itself. You've given all this background. Are you in a place where you're presently looking to raise investment, raise funds, etc.? Yes. So uh, we decided to start raising funds because mm, we understood that uh, it may just speed up uh, what we're working on. So obviously you can, in today's environment, you can bootstrap, but it will not give you such as most of the times it will not be able to reach that speed of development you are looking for uh, so yes we are fundraising and we would like to invest these funds in um, user acquisition and also the development of the product feature because as you imagine having two full stack developers is great but it's just not enough if you want to get something great amazing what is a book a podcast or a course that you would recommend for people to understand ai better I haven't been doing a lot of courses lately because I've, you know, I've been reading and understanding things uh, that are happening in the industry, even from more technical point of view. But when I started, I did two courses and both of them were by Andrew Nen. And Andrew Nen is uh, one of the thought leaders in, in AI machine learning world. He was the um, creator of Google Brain. And right now he runs Coursera, which is a educational platform, they have courses, and he has their courses done by himself on AI and machine learning. And they were really inspirational for me. Obviously, they were outdated at the time I was doing them because at the beginning of last year, uh, these courses that were from, I think, 2018 or 19, they were like, you know, that's not covering what's really happening in, in AI world, but they were great basics for me. And there was a great introduction on how it works. And his approach, I think, pushed me towards really creating something valuable. There's two things I remembered from this course. So first was his observation that if there's a specific task in the world that human can do in one second mentally, then it will be done by AI in, in one time in the future. And obviously this applied to mostly of the machine learning processes. 
like understanding what's on the image, if it's a cat or a dog or something. But I think this is something that was very powerful for me to understand that like machine learning and also AI will develop to this point. And also the second thing is that he really encouraged people to not build AI machine learning products. Try to make an idea that's specific for your domain, for your problem in your industry, for your business, and then apply AI machine learning tools to solve this problem. And I think it also pushed me like in, in really doing a deep dive into my insights, my observations, my frustrations from my work, and to talk with people who shared this journey with me in advertising to see what are the real problems and how AI could help uh, solve it. Because right now we all got access to AI tools and people are just rushing to build AI solutions. But I think a lot of them just like this domain expertise. And in fact, the best solutions I think created on the market and the most successful ones are built by people who have real insider knowledge on how specific industries work. So this is really powerful. And I know that he updated his courses. He added courses on prompt engineering, added courses on large language models. So I think this is fantastic. And there's just another one, another material that I very often recommend. This is Andrew Carpati's one hour introduction to LLMs for beginners. It has been published on YouTube some weeks ago, I, I would say. It's one hour long. It's quite easy to understand. And I think it's it's really, I mean, and especially for someone who is one of the founding engineers of OpenAI, it's really great to, to see his point of view. You come from the advertising world. So what is a bit of actionable advice that you would give about AI to someone who was just starting out in their advertising career, someone who is mid-career, and someone who is a leader in the advertising space. What advice would you have for each of them briefly? From perspective of people working in advertising, I think uh, AI is both tempting and terrifying because uh, people who see like what AI can create and they, they feel that they will become obsolete in future. And also this fear is fueled by media and influencers who say that AI will replace you or person using AI will replace you. I don't think this is a good way to sell AI to people, right? It's not a, it shouldn't be about fear. It should be about the positive influence it can has on our lives, our work. So first of all, I think people shouldn't be afraid, shouldn't be like, you know, put into this feeling of fear, but the, the most important thing is to just try something because I think most people just, it's not that they don't know about AI because it's difficult to not know about AI right now. It's just, they don't want to even try it. Them, there might be different reasons. Like they are afraid, they don't, they, they hate it. They like, you know, don't, don't think they will be useful for them. But I think with AI, the magic is it really works in a very natural way. And you don't even need to how to prompt. You don't like be an expert. You just can open ChatGPT even and just try anything and see, see what it can deliver. It's about having fun and just trying. And I think if people find it interesting enough and valuable enough, they can follow up with, you know, with more uh, different uh, tools and they can do a deep dive. But I think it's all about having this first experience. And unfortunately for people who are starting in advertising, it's very difficult to say what will happen. And people who have no marketing knowledge because they're just starting, they will face a lot of barriers where people who are more senior will be using AI and will be much better than them and they will have to catch up. But I think from these juniors and people starting, they should perceive AI as an unfair advantage over their seniors because they can use AI to the full, like they can use a daily, they can use uh, perplexity, they can use 
all the different tools for, you know, uh, creating content, analyzing uh, content, and just try to be the best person in advertising as they can. While people who are like medium level, senior level, they will be more prone to, let's say, stay out of AI and they will like, you know, adopt it uh, later on. And for them, definitely their experience, they on hands knowledge on how things work advertising will still be a value, but uh, probably they will also need to start working with the tools. I believe this is going to be a huge change. I think, in fact, AI era for advertising agencies will be the biggest revolution since the introduction of uh, computers, because even if we look what happened in like, you know, during lockdown, advertising agencies work in a very traditional way. It's mostly based on like your relationships and manual work and, you know, talking with people and, you know, figuring out things uh, together. There's just not much technology there. And I think right now it will be a huge shift and most people working advertising will probably be required to use these tools because the agencies will require it. Everybody in the industry will start using it. So I think in the future, uh, people advertising will use these tools and we'll see just which tools it will be, you know, used most frequently. Great. And uh, finally, what are you looking forward to in 2024? From my perspective, I, I really believe that this will be, first of all, this will be the year of massive AI adoption. Because when we look back at the beginning of last year, obviously, ChatGPT and Midjourney were there in January, right? But we need to understand how the world works. It works based on business calendars of companies. So in December or January, all the major decisions are made for like the plans for the whole year. And I don't expect anybody would, you know, plan to invest heavily into AI in the beginning of last year, because it was just, you know, very beginning and uh, some people wish it just, you know, didn't develop and so on. Right now it's just not denying AI is huge and it influences a lot of parts of our both professional and private lives. And I know that companies are all onto AI and they all want to figure out AI and they will be training their employees on AI. They will be buying souls and we'll just be like, you know, it will become a part of our everyday work and everyday life to use AI and uh, we'll be seeing AI everywhere. And I think this is the time when people believe that this is happening, really happening. But for me personally, uh, my wish for this year is that all of these AI tools approach have this approach of promptless experience because uh, this is something I really believe in and I I don't want people to be forced to learn how to prompt. It's like we shouldn't really expect people to become prompt engineers to use AI. It's the same way like we don't ex we shouldn't expect people to uh, know coding to use Microsoft Office, right? It just it just doesn't work that way. Amazing. Sounds good. And uh, if someone had to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yes, so definitely I'm most active on, on LinkedIn. So you can find me under my uh, name, Peltro Pombal, on LinkedIn. The easy to find. Also, you can find uh, me through Adaily as well, both of LinkedIn and on the website. So whenever you want to get in touch with me, you can uh, choose one of these both routes and definitely it will come back to, to me uh, in the end. And I will be happy to help uh, all the people who want to get into AI to understand like the intersection of AI and marketing or maybe want to learn more about the daily. I'm always uh, happy to, to talk about it. And also, I'm really honored to be part of this podcast. And thanks, Karen, for inviting me. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for being part of this uh, conversation, Piotr. It's a pleasure to have you. And I'm sure this will be first and a few conversations coming up, given what we both are looking forward to doing in 2024. 
So that was it, ladies and gents. This is Creative AI. Follow us on Spotify. And we are do a LinkedIn. And uh, here are more conversations around the TechEye framework, which is also sounds like TK. You don't have to worry about AI. It's really okay. And uh, people like Yota and myself will help unpack this conversation for you. So thanks again, Peter. And thank you. See you again soon. See you. Bye.